This episode of the Duct Tape Marketing Podcast is brought to you by the Salesman Podcast, hosted by Will Barron and brought to you by the HubSpot Podcast Network. Look, if you work in sales, want to learn how to sell, and frankly, who doesn't? Check out the Salesman Podcast, where host Will Barron helps sales professionals learn how to find buyers and win big business in effective and ethical ways. And if you want to start someplace, I recommend the four-step process to influencing buying decisions. Listen to the Salesman Podcast wherever you get your podcasts. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Duct Tape Marketing Podcast. This is John Jance and my guest today is John Cantarella. He's a VP of Community and Impact Partnerships at Facebook. Prior to joining Facebook, he was the president of Digital of the News, Business and Sports Properties at Time Inc., where he oversaw Time.com, CNN, Money.com, Fortune.com, SI.com, and Golf.com. He also spent a number of years at the New York Times Company at NYT. I guess it's nytimes.com, <laughs> running strategy, marketing, and operations. He was a part of the management team instrumental in launching nytimes.com's first paid product and the acquisition of about.com. So, John, welcome to the show. John, thanks so much for having me. It is hearing that a while. It goes back a bunch of years, too, but really appreciate you having me uh, on, on your podcast. You, you bet. About.com is really a blast from the past. You actually, of course, people are listening to this. You don't look old enough for to have uh, been involved in that. The, the About.com, there was a, a guide, I think that's yeah. what they called them, in my community that was, you know, interviewed me a number of times. So, about this is like around 2000-ish, I think, or something yeah, like that. Yeah. Uh, you, but You probably remember it was called the Mining Company before it was about.com, and it was kind of an early community platform, you know, with those yeah, guys who were really yeah. building it. Yeah, very early on. And it, it's kind of been absorbed into something else now, hasn't it? It has. I think the New York Times ended up selling it to, to Barry Diller's company, Interactive Corp, I think. Yeah, yeah. All right, so let's go not quite that far back. Uh, but let's start at about 2008, which was probably the date that Facebook really became a business tool or started the journey of becoming a business tool. So could you give us a quick, in your view, you know, how business use of Facebook has evolved kind of from those early days to where we are today? Yeah, I know it's a really interesting question, you know, and uh, I wasn't around in 2008, but, you know, early days, I mean, you know, Facebook was really an effective you know, marketing platform, particularly in the early days, really focused much more on, you know, customer acquisition, which is still obviously a large part yeah. of our business. But because it was one of the early platforms to allow, you know, you know self-serve, it really built, you know, a huge ecosystem of small businesses. Yeah. And, 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 and it helped scale the platform really quickly. I think, you know, this company has gone through so many transformations. I mean, you think back in 2008, you think about early advertising, and banner ads and, uh, you know, I could remember, I remember all the different formats, but, you know, in those days, you know, Facebook really pioneered, you know, and didn't use traditional ad formats like the, you know, 300 by 250 and, and really started, you know, you know, running ads and feed. And then yeah. obviously, you know, mobile happened, the company transformed and pivoted very quickly towards mobile. And I think you've seen that we've innovated on, on formats over the years from you know, feed ads to ads in stories and, you know, and now you're starting to see, you know, ads and things like reels. I, I think that the thing that's 
you know, what we hear overall is that I think about it in terms of economic opportunity. When I think about the millions of small businesses that use Facebook and, you know, it's an incredible platform to drive people to, you know, take action for your business. So going back to my early use in it, I mean, it was such a great place in the early days to just get exposure for your content. Because again, the way the feed was, first off, it wasn't as, as busy, but also the way the feed was is you, anybody who followed you saw your stuff. And, and obviously as it became so many more users and so many more, so much more functionality, you know, adding Instagram now and other purchases, it's really, in a lot of ways, it's become much more complex, hasn't it? I think it is complex from a, from a, you know, you have to be somewhat skilled in knowing how to reach an audience. And I think that's why we have a large ecosystem of partners that, that help you. But, you know, if you're a small business, you know, you can't necessarily hire a, a third party. I think where they've innovated really well is, you know, to your earlier point, we, you know, obviously we have Facebook, we have Instagram, there's WhatsApp and, you know, uh, you know, the metaverse within, within quest, yeah. you know, you can run an ad and there's so many tools in business manager that allow you to place an ad that it'll optimize for you. It'll help, you know, you can put some basic things in there and the, and that system will take care of the rest for you. I continually optimize the audience across platforms. So really trying to simplify it. That said, you know, if you're a sophisticated organization, you know, you can really be very specific in who you're trying to target. So a lot of small business owners certainly use the ad, you know, functionality and depend upon types of businesses have done really well. I've also seen uh, a lot of small businesses in a non-paid environment, the groups that, you know, creating communities for various reasons. So why do you think, I mean, there are a lot of tools now that you can create groups and communities. I mean, heck Slack, you know, is one that a lot of people attempt to do that. Why do you feel like Facebook uh, has such a hold on, I mean, obviously part of it's just sheer numbers. There's so many people on Facebook already, but it, it feels to me like, you know, the group functionality at fa uh, on the Facebook platform is feels far superior to a lot of other you know options out there of kind of doing it on your own. You know, it's a, it's a great point. I would say fundamentally, you know, we talk about product market fit, the product works incredibly well. And we have an unbelievable product team who, you know, over the last year is literally launching new features based on what the community is telling them they need on, on a weekly and monthly basis to really ensure that mm -hmm. people can manage and grow their community or their groups. I mean, to your point, like, so we call them groups, but to be honest, you know, fundamentally our mission as a company is to give people the power to build community to bring people closer together. And, and my team specifically works with people that build communities. So we know there are over 70 million people um, that are managing groups. There are over 1.8 billion people monthly in groups. And, you know, with that sheer scale, you know, these are ordinary people doing extraordinary things. And we like to think about them as communities. And, you know, you wrote about this in one of your books, you know, a lot of these folks are purpose-driven and they're a collection of people that receive a sense of belonging through the connection and frankly, a feeling of safety and trust that they invest in over time. And when we see small businesses or even larger businesses use uh, Facebook groups, we see it because they are driven by a purpose and, and something they want um, their consumers to have around a shared interest or a goal or an attitude. You know, they're not looking at them as just a, as capital, right? They're yeah. looking at it for purpose. 
so I think a lot of people get the idea of, of say, putting clients or members or you know whatever we want to call them into a group. I mean, that's quite obvious. What are some other places along the customer journey that you think groups or communities fit that maybe people aren't thinking of? So the, the thing that we're seeing, I think there's a stat out there that 80% of small businesses have used digital tools in the past month, you know, for advertising and communication. Mm -hmm. And yeah. overall, you know, you know this, and you, you've been doing this for years and consulting for companies. I, I think gone are the days when one-way communication is going to work. You can't speak at your audience anymore. And so, you know, what we're seeing is, is that companies that are purpose-driven, small businesses that are purpose-driven, you know, are, are finding real value when they're building a group, right? And so they're looking at for, for multiple things. So. You know, we call it, and I have to give all credit to a woman named Lolita Taub, who's an early investor in communities and started the community fund. You know, she calls it CRO, CROI, community return on investment. And when we think about that, there, there are three things that we're seeing small businesses and businesses get out of community. One is, you know, potentially revenue. There's a real lifetime value when people are, are in your group because they're your best customers. Secondly, you know, from an operational standpoint, you know, it could be a customer support tool where your community, it's making your operations easier because people are talking to each other to help solve problems. And, and the third piece is really the insights piece. You know, we're seeing multiple companies use it for product development and they're, they're using what they're hearing in their communities to make their products better and have a, a continuous conversation with, with their customer. And there's so many great examples of that. Well, and I, I think you missed one that I'm seeing a lot of is peep, it's actually become a top of the funnel, you know, tool for a lot of people where they're building these free communities where people get a taste of what it's like to be in that community or to be coached by that person or whatever it is before they really even go into the true sort of sales funnel. It, it's a great point. We, we hear this from a lot of small businesses. I have, I have an example. There's a founder called Priscilla Tsai. She started a, a beauty company called Coco Kind. And, you know, it was all started out of a need. She really wanted to have a clean beauty brand. She felt a lot of the beauty brands out there weren't aspirational for her because she suffered from, you know, pretty bad skin. Mm -hmm. And she, you know, didn't relate to a lot of what she was seeing out there. So she started this beauty company called Coco Kind. And as she started this company, she started to interact through Instagram and direct message with customers to really understand like what formulas they like, what, what is the packaging, what are the colors that they like, really finding that they're educated consumers. And then as her community on Instagram grew larger, she started to do polls and she would get things like, she gets things like 30,000 responses from her community through this, what she calls her Coco Kind lab. And then she also started a Facebook group called Skin Positivity because, you know, these folks really love the products that she produces. But they also want to connect with others around, you know, tips and tricks and to support each other. And to your point, you know, this becomes an organic top of funnel as opposed to, you know, if you, if she doesn't remain true to her mission right. of skin positivity, you know, people can see right through that. And now let's hear from our sponsor. Look, if you're tired of slowing down your teams with clunky software processes and marketing that is difficult to scale, HubSpot is here to help you and your business grow better. With collaboration tools and built-in SEO optimizations, a HubSpot CRM platform is tailor-made to help you scale your marketing with ease, 
Integrated calendars, tasks, and commenting help hybrid teams stay connected. While automated SEO recommendations intuitively optimize your web page content for increased organic traffic. Ditch the difficult and dial up your marketing with tools that are easy to use and easy to scale. Learn how your business can grow better at HubSpot.com. Yeah. So you really hit on kind of where I was going to go next. You know, are there some, I, I hate the term best practice. It implies that there's no better practices, but are there some best practices to really stimulate and grow and, and keep this very engaged community? Because, you know, I, I see all kinds of people, I get invited to them all the time, these groups that you go there and it's like a ghost town, you know? So what are some, if somebody's really wanting to do this, what do they have to, what, what's their investment going to be? It's a really important point. And it's an important point because, you know, everyone, not everyone, but, but most companies have someone who's their marketer and they have someone who's their social media manager. Community management is none of those. And, you know, we've seen cases of large companies starting communities and then quickly losing control of it because they don't have a clear mission of what they're doing. And, you know, we've spent a lot of time to make sure that our ecosystem of community builders really have the resources that they need. So first of all, we have everything from a community management certification program to a playbook for small businesses or any business to really figure out how to get started, to use, you know, Facebook groups, and also just figure out like what community platform works best for you. So I think number one, we'd like to say why, like identify what your community objective is, right? You know, your community objective should number one be, I just want more customers, right? And then once you know your why, it's really, how do I enlist the right person to, to manage that community and then really develop a strategy to support your desired outcomes. And then once you're there, then you start to build the guiding principles and you start to engage the community. And what you see is, you know, these communities start to grow pretty, pretty quickly. Uh, and I'll give you an example. One of our, our partners is a young woman called Daisha Kennedy. She started a community called Broke Black Girl, and, and her mission was really to provide culturally relevant financial information to African-American women. I mean, she, I love it. She calls herself a financial activist, right? And so <laughs> she started this community to help women save money and it quickly became 80,000 people strong. And, you know, she was a community first leader because of an issue she was having to really find better financial um, literacy and information to manage her finances. From that, she started getting people in our community asking her to consult for them. And it's gotten to the point now where Daisha can no longer do one-to-one consultation. So she started to build a small business where she's offering seminars, she's offering templates. And it's your point. It's, you know, she's like, look, I can't look at them as capital. I look at them as people and I'm providing value. And if they want to migrate to my website and buy one of my courses, great. But it, you know, it is top of funnel for her, but it's organic. So you touched just briefly, maybe unintentionally, <laughs> on a, another point that I know uh, sometimes comes up. So I build this 80,000 person community, great tools, great community, but I don't really own it. Um, it's on somebody else's platform. I'm sure you hear that all the time. What, you know, how do you address that sometimes very real concern? So I, I like to think of it in terms of we are nothing without these individuals. And what I've found is both when I speak with small businesses and I work with these community builders, they are enormously grateful for the impact that they are able to make right. with the tools that we provide them. And so, you know, we manage 
multiple, I mean, I would say you know, not multiple thousands of community builders who are some of the most engaged on the platforms. And we spend a lot of time with them getting their feedback and, you know, and putting them in front of our product leadership to make sure that we can build all the tools that they want. And, you know, we call it our top pain points or people problems. You know, what are the product enhancements that we need to build to support them? On the flip side, you know, our team is very focused programmatically to capacity build individuals to make sure, you know, when these communities grow to a certain size, they immediately see that it becomes a challenge. So we want to make sure how can we make your community sustainable by launching monetization products? How can we support you in your leadership journey? Because you need to build a team to support the work that you're doing. And so if you look at the tools over the last year that we've launched, they've really been in response to these individuals being able to, you know, feel more ownership over their communities overall. I know on my show, there's a lot of businesses that are, are traditional local businesses. You know, how would they go about looking at this? Cause, because obviously they have real geographic constraints just by nature of the model of their business. And obviously social media has no geographic constraints. So, you know, what, are there ways that, that you've seen local businesses use this, not, not just to build numbers, but to do something that might effectively uh, drive revenue? I have, I mean, here's the thing, you know, I just saw the stat this week, it was in the New York times, which is really frankly upsetting and frightening is that with more companies settling into permanent hybrid work from home in New York city, specifically the average office worker is predicted to reduce their annual spending by nearly $6,700 pre pandemic. They were spending almost $14,000 around their office areas. Mm -hmm. And if you go down the list, that's in New York city with the you know, largest metropolitan area sure, sure. In, in the U S you know, Los Angeles and San Francisco, it's a $5,000, um, reduction mm -hmm. in spend. That is terrifying. And the thing that I think is so important for small businesses, and this is at the local level, right? Most people, you know, think about small businesses at the local level, you know, during the pandemic, we launched multiple things to support small businesses, not only grants for them, as well as, you know, in, in multiple communities, but even on Instagram, you could, you can still launch a sticker today that is, is linking to your local small businesses to make sure that, that you can support them locally. So, so local is fundamentally, you know, when I think about community, that's what I think about. Secondly, I say is that it's so important for small businesses to have a digital front door. And a digital front door is not only a social media presence, but also, you know, the people that walk by your store every single day, they are your community. And sometimes small businesses don't realize that. And so I would always encourage these small businesses to really engage with their customers. I mean, you know, this is the beauty. I mean, community has redefined itself. We always think about community in real life. And so, you know, now it's both. How do you make sure you can bridge the people that walk by your store every day? with this digital front door to make sure they can connect with you, right? So my local restaurant on the street, Noodle Pudding here in Brooklyn, New York, you know, I follow them on Instagram. I would love for them to have a, I'd love for them to have a group. You know, they post their menu every single day. I want to support them. So it's really important for these small businesses to put that digital shingle out there in as many ways as possible. So this is a big question. I don't know if we can end up on this or not. Just give us a glimpse of what's maybe next for businesses on Facebook, but obviously community as well. So I think there are multiple things. And I, I think yeah, you were an early evangelist of, evangelist of this from what I can tell. You know, I think it's so important. We talked about this community return on investment, but to me, the other piece that's so important 
is the purpose and the social value you're bringing to people in the sense of belonging. That's why I feel so strongly that businesses that build community in the future, you know, you, any young person today wants a company that shares their values, whether it's around sustainability, like Kind, or, you know, focus on social justice. They want to know what you stand for, and they're not going to find that out if you don't talk about it and engage them on it. I also think that community is not going to be a marketing function. You're going to start to see the biggest companies have a chief community officer, and there's going to be a whole new industry trained up around people being certified in community management. We're already seeing a bunch of third-party companies start to build metrics and tools so they can start to measure the value of community overall. And you know, the better we're able to support our partners in being able to measure the value of their community, the stronger they'll be. I'll give you an example. There's a, an incredible startup called Tonal. They're a home fitness startup and they have a home exercise machine. And we've been working with them on a case study because they have this total community on Facebook. And if you go on there, you see these people are so dedicated to the exercise, but we also found that their most active community members work out with the product more than the average user. And they are more, and they're much more significantly likely to recommend Tonal to a friend. They also get feedback every Friday. It's hashtag feedback Friday on how to improve their product and they filter it back into the brand. You know, it, it's the full circle. So I think you're going to see more companies like Tonal, like mm -hmm. Airbnb, like Coco Kind and, and Broke Black Girl invest in community and set themselves apart from everyone else. And I, it, you know, it wouldn't be right if I didn't uh, mention the metaverse, you know, as we're building uh, virtual reality, we're obviously making a really big investment there. You know, and part of what we're going to do is really help define what community will look like in the virtual world, which is going to be fundamentally important. You know, if you can't be there in person, you can be there with your avatar and hopefully get a sense of what it's like to be a part of a community. You know, you mentioned uh, obviously hybrid workplaces, distributed workplaces, you know, are, are certainly, they've been going on for a long time, but I think that they just got a jolt, you know, from what we've done the last few years. What role would a tool like... Uh, like your community groups play in retention of employees. You know, I think that's a, that's a pretty hot idea right now because uh, so many people, I don't know where they are working now, but so many people have left to go uh, pursue other careers. And so retention and recruitment have become you know, really hot right now for a lot of organizations. What role can community play in that since we don't have the natural sort of meeting community place? I think it's so important to think about that. And, you know, and again, you've written about this. I think if you don't start by building community with your company, it's going to be really hard for you to create an authentic community outside of your company for your customers. I think the beauty of working as a company, look, I've worked, I worked in media for years and I've been at Meta for seven and a half years now. And we you have a version of Facebook internally called Workplace and, you know, Beyond the groups that we've created to collaborate, so you might have a group that you're collaborating on around one project. We also have a lot of groups within our company that are just really fun. You know, it could be sad work from home meals. It could <laughs> be, you know, you know, people at, at Meta that are over 40, you know, they're really fun and they help you build community overall with people within your organization when you can't be in real life. And that really sustained a lot of people in our organization and in companies, not only, you know, communities, but even, 
you know, even tools like Zoom or chats, you know, we have a chat for, it's a Peloton chat for folks on my team. And it's a great way that we all just, you know, support each other and build a community around a shared interest. So I think that using digital tools is really important, but it can't completely supplant, you know, in real life. And I think the combination of the two is really being thoughtful about how you bring the digital platform and the in real life platform together is really important. So John, t tell me, you mentioned the playbook, that might be a good place to start, but if there are any other resources you want to mention or, or draw our attention to? We do, and I'll send you the, I'll send you the URL so you can add it to the website, but we, if you go to fb.me slash business slash community, I know that's a mouthful, but we have a playbook. We have all kinds of resources for people that are building community. You know, I like to say to, to the team, it's, you know, we, we're trying to be as colloquial and as Fisher price as, you know, I think that's like, you know, as possible where it's like, how do you break it down? So that it's really easy. Step one, step two, step three, so that it's really easy for people to onboard. And the beauty of our tools too, the way they've been built is that there's a lot of automation involved so that, you know, you don't have to be iridescent 24 hours a day, but, but you do have to be there to tend, you know, it's like being a gardener, you know, right, make sure right, you can right. do it. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Well, John, thanks so much for stopping by the duct tape marketing podcast, and hopefully we'll see you one of these days out there on the road. John, I really appreciate your time and, and thank you so much for having me. All right. So that wraps up another episode. I want to thank you so much for tuning in. And you know, we love those reviews and comments and just generally tell me what you think. Also, did you know that you could offer the duct tape marketing system, our system to your clients and build a complete marketing, consulting, coaching business, or maybe level up an agency with some additional services? That's right. Check out the duct tape marketing consultant network. You can find it at ducttapemarketing.com and just scroll down a little and find that offer our system to your clients tab.